in three, two, one. Grief is a natural response to loss and it can have a profound impact on your mental health. Whether it's the loss of a loved one, a job, a relationship, or even a pet, the emotions that accompany grief can be overwhelming and can often lead to mental health challenges. Understanding the connection between grief and mental health is crucial in seeking the help and support needed to navigate through this difficult journey. To help us understand the role of grief in mental health is author, speaker, and coach, Michelle Mariscal. Well, hi, Michelle. Welcome to the program. We're delighted to have you. Hi, Michael. It's great to be here. Now, where are we talking to you from today? I am in Gulfport, Florida. Now, this is new for you. You just moved here, I think, from West Coast, East Coast. Yes. So what precipitated that move? Yeah, and I was going to say big changes. And as you might imagine, some losses in that. And you know what precipitated that was I had been working for an organization for 23 years and was ready to retire from that as I wanted to launch into my entrepreneurial business and was really looking for a location where I could be right on the water. But the other bigger piece of that was really heart-led. Most of my family has passed away and we were all up and down the West Coast. And my extended family now and some of my nephews and nieces are out here on the East Coast. So I just wanted easier access to be able to see family and start my business here. Well, a little closer to your tribe. That makes sense. And Florida's a good state as well. You've got good weather. So get out of that snow part. Our topic for today, we're going to be talking about grief recovery and feelings of loss that can lead to anxiety. And a lot of times people wonder, what's that got to do with business and how does that work with business? But I think it has everything to do with business and becoming preferred. Becoming preferred is all about making ourselves as best versions of ourselves as we possibly can. So we become the emotional favorite to the people we serve and whoever those are, whether it's through our business, whether it's through working through an organization. And a lot of people have grief in their life. A lot of people have anxiety in their life. And we're going to talk about the mindfulness and some of the solutions. You wrote a great book called Growing Through Grief, and we'll talk a little bit about that. But when we think of grief, we often think of the loss of a loved one or a divorce. You say there's over 40 other types of losses. What are some of the other common ones? Oh, since I just experienced many of them, I'll start there. Sure, yeah. Think about this. Anytime that you've made a move, it may be something that you want as I wanted this and I look forward to it. But one of the definitions of grief is the conflicting feelings brought on by any emotional loss. So certainly leaving my workplace of 23 years, I was ready and I was sad. And leaving my community, selling my townhome, the river, the healing community that I was a part of, all of those are different types of losses. And so those are some of the tangible ones that are in addition to losing someone to death. And of course, losing someone in relationship when relationships apart. But then we also really need to consider some of the losses that all of us sustained during the pandemic, just 
a loss of security, a loss of trust maybe for some, those intangible losses, those are really deeply rooted in us as well. And the important thing to understand how those can also add to levels of anxiety is that we all have these, I call them tracks in our brain. And when our heart is registering some emotion that triggers fear from a past experience, that we're more hyper alert. And I think that was something that kind of happened to all of us. We became a little more hyper alert and under the surface, maybe didn't realize why we were getting triggered so much. We're not good at grieving in North America, are we? No, we're not a culture that does grief well. (laughs) Let's put it that way. So when it comes to grief, a lot of people are familiar with Elizabeth Kubler-Ross's definition in the seven stages of grief. They read the book and they realize, hey, there are different stages here. You maintain that those are good, they're useful, but they were designed with a certain purpose in mind at the time she designed them, and that there's other models that we maybe look at, and everyone has their own unique process for this. Go into detail a little more on that. Sure. When Elizabeth Kubler-Ross was working on the five stages of grief, she was working with death and dying patients. And in her research, she found that those moving toward death move through these five distinct stages. And over time, that just got overlaid. People began to overlay it into the process of grief. And there's not a path that everyone follows distinctly. You may have lots of different emotions. And for myself, why I was interested and went out to check out what is this model of grief? And when I learned that it was done with death and dying, and I saw, well, there's some emotions that I'm not sure I'm experiencing. I also went out and looked at other ones because I'm a researcher. And there was Eric Lindemann out of Germany. His work really worked with grief and trauma, and he named some other emotions that people might go through. And then I also found another model by a psychologist, William Worden, and he worked with the four tasks of grief, suggesting that for you to complete mourning, to complete this process, there were these four tasks that you would go through. And what ended up happening for me was I realized from my mental mind that was struggling to figure out why I couldn't make sense of life, I needed to start where I was at a cognitive level with thought and word and research. And what that helped me do was just let it go and realize each of these researchers have talked about different things that may happen. So it allowed me to pull from this whole area of research only to realize that I am going to have my own individual experience. I may have some out of that research, some out of that research. I think that's really important for all grievers to realize that you are going to have your own unique individual path. And in that way, that really allows you to be in your grief process and not feel like you're not doing it right. If you're experiencing and allowing yourself to experience the emotion and find the tools to process the emotions. That's the work of grief. Yeah, so it's basically going to take a whole menu of emotions. And you might have anger, you might have different feelings at different times, but everyone has their own unique style. But maybe it's going to pull from this pool of emotions and to recognize that they are emotions and then how we can navigate those emotions or experience it. And I'm wondering if there's so many people aren't always aware that grief is what they are experiencing. And are there signs that might tell us that they have unprocessed grief? Yes, if we really talk about incomplete 
grief too. If we tend to keep having memories that come up and it takes us into a very dark tunnel and we have trouble coming back out. If you have resolved grief and you have worked with those emotions, we can have sad emotions come up, sad memories, and be with that emotion and ride, I call it just ride that surf of what that emotion is in that moment. And right behind that, a nice memory, a fun memory, a good memory will follow. So if a memory comes up and you're always triggered into a very dark, deep place, that can tell you, you may want to find some tools to process those emotions. The other thing too is anger, because oftentimes under anger are those emotions that need to and want to, they're asking to be expressed and processed and to be looked at. So those are two that come to mind. That makes sense. Now, is all grief equal? In other words, what somebody might experience some, let's say, individual stages or unique grief to them on a loss. For instance, I know in your background, people can get more detail from your book and your story because you've lost loved ones. You had a younger brother you lost to leukemia. You had an older brother you lost to cancer. Your parents, you've experienced the worst kind of grief that we would maybe label, hey, this is the worst kind of grief. But there's other types of grief that people experience or loss, like you just said, of moving. So we're also stages of the grief equal or is it the way we give to the grief? In other words, let's say I lose a loved one and I'm having a grieving experience versus maybe I lost my career, my job, my identity. However, is it the way we give to them or should they all be treated and processed and given the same respect is what I'm asking? I think that the best place to start with this is to recognize when grief is present and also to recognize that we each have a unique and individual experience. Just Think about a minute for each of the relationships in your life. They live very differently. Each one of them is unique and individual. And when you have these other intangible losses and the tangible ones like career loss, bankruptcy, those are all very unique as well. And I'll give you an example from my childhood. When I went to be certified for the grief recovery method, I had not even ever learned that some of my childhood experiences needed to be grieved. And that was, I was a child of a military dad, and we moved nine times by the time I was 15. We had lived in Europe, we had lived in Asia, and we had lived all over the United States. And at age 15, I was having this experience of what would now be called suicidality. And I just didn't understand what the purpose of even being here was. And this was in a very loving family. And thankfully, I had teachers and some creative processes that helped me at that time that kind of brought me back to life. But all those years later, I learned if anybody had been able to help me put into context and have a way to work with the losses of friends, church, family, home, that I would have been processing those emotions along the way. So that was so eye-opening to me. And again, to your point, I would never have anybody compare any of their losses, be with those losses and recognize, oh, this is cause for grief. What do I need to how can I help myself here? You had, I think you were in the ninth grade and you had an English teacher that got you to start mm-hmm. writing and, and documenting your right. stories. And that was therapy for you, wasn't it? Yes. So writing, creative writing, journal writing, those are really great, helpful tools. Art therapy is really great. People who find that avenue 
Yeah, it's interesting. I think beliefs too. I think people have maybe a faith. Like for me, I really love Buddhist philosophy, for instance, mm-hmm. because they believe in transformation. There's no finality to things, which sounds better to me. You know, yeah. acorn and oak tree, a cloud is H2O. It comes to the earth. It falls as H2O, fills our streams with H2O, and it evaporates as H2O. They believe in this transformation process that we never die. So if that's the worst thing, and that's why Buddhists generally, their final days, they're not freaking out. It's not a scary event for them, just like birth isn't. They're painful experiences, but they're necessary experiences because we're all going to go through them. And so if that's the worst thing, but now it's how do we process that? So that part is interesting, but I love the part of writing and therapy, journaling. I find that helps get the thoughts out. I find also too, when I experience the grief, that reservoir of tears is just right at the edge. I remember when I was going through a divorce 25 years ago, it was a sad time. There was lots of reasons, but it was a tough time. And I remember as a speaker being on stage, the reservoir would come up, there'd be a trigger and I could just feel this reservoir of grief want to just seep out and I'm swallowing it down. And then after my event, I might go and have a five minute ball, cry my eyes out and it felt great. And so I always said, Hey, experience that. Just go ahead and let it rip. And it does make a difference. And you're going, okay, there's a release. There's a release in that for sure. This episode is sponsored in part by Rainmaker Digital Solutions featuring ActiveCampaign. Looking to drive growth with customer experience automation? ActiveCampaign, the number one marketing automation platform for e-commerce, B2C and B2B companies, gives you the email marketing, marketing automation, and CRM tools you need to create incredible customer experiences. ActiveCampaign is the platform we use to reach, nurture, convert, and grow our business, and you can use it to grow yours. You can see why 150,000 plus businesses like yours choose ActiveCampaign to help them grow and become preferred in the markets they serve. You can also start your free trial by visiting our website and clicking on the ActiveCampaign trial link. As a bonus, we'll also give you a digital copy of my book, Becoming Preferred, How to Outsell the Competition. And in the interest of full disclosure, I am a shareholder in the company. And now back to my conversation with Michelle Mariscal. What's the connection between grief and personal identity? Yes. Immediately what popped in, into my head was in a very unexpected experience after my mom and dad had both died. So my mom died in 2010 and then dad in 2015. And I recall feeling like I'd been turned upside down. I felt like an orphan, which was not true at all. But this, I, I get you on that. I hear you. Yes. This true yeah. sense of I don't even know who I am anymore. I'm not a daughter anymore. So those roles, that's really what popped in for me is that we identify as roles in our life and those roles may now be no longer. So that's one of the things around back to school time. Moms and dads really need to give credence to my kids or out in the world now when they go off to college. That is another place where You might want to take some time to just really be with all that you've been through those years as parent. You're still parent, and it's a changed role. 
now your child is. <laughs> yeah, it's an evolution, right? There is an evolution. Right. Like I remember having the little ones at home and then they're going off and doing their things. We're fortunate because most of them all live in one place. We have one in Belize. We have some out in British Columbia. Yeah. And it's like I say, those stages of life, I think is what you're referencing. So for instance, even as a woman and as a man too, and then you go through and you talk about this in some of your work, women will go through a menopause, change of life, and there's a loss. There's a loss of things there as we get older. As we get older, we age. We don't look as wonderful and beautiful as we think. As we used to, we got lines showing up on our faces and whatever. There's a loss there. There's a loss of relevance. Sometimes as we get older, we feel irrelevant. It's a young people's world and there's loss there. Uh, maybe I've been a CEO of an organization and maybe there's been changes or now I'm no longer that or I can't do that anymore. Those are all losses. So every one of us is going to experience that kind of loss. So it's really finding that process in order to get through there because I think you teach this. Grief has a cumulative effect, doesn't it? If we don't deal with them, it accumulates. And what comes out the other end? Yes. And we say it's negatively cumulative. And I'll give you the metaphor that we like to use is when we're a child, we have our little backpack. And every time that we have a loss, it's like putting a stone, a rock, and those rocks into our backpack. Sure. And again, along the way, in for instance, by the time I was 15, my backpack was pretty darn heavy. And I had not really had a way to express or move those emotions. And so those show up in a lot of different ways that can show up our body. Some of that unresolved grief can show up as processes in our body that cause illness and disease. I've had people move their health to such a different place just by doing this work. It's doing this work of processing emotions. I think you're right. I think it creates disease within the system. And that's the problem that you're talking about moving. My father was military as well, Air Force, and we moved a lot. Every year it was a new school, right? On the positive side, I had to introduce myself to the class. So it helped me overcome issues. But it's also, you have to learn how to make friends quickly, right? In a quick period of time. Travel, boarding schools. At a young age, we went to boarding schools. My parents were British and education was the priority, right? But I remember having birthdays with no one around but my roommates, just boys as a young boy in elementary school. But I never thought of the impact on those things because that's all you knew. Those are the things that you knew, but the grieving of not grieving it or abandonment issues and people have those. And so I totally get that as a 15 year old and particularly when all the emotions are raging and your hormones are going, everything else that adds to it. And if we look at each of those stages of life, you know, I lost my parents as well. And it's disconcerting. It's nice to know when they're there. And most of us as we're getting older and millennials and Gen X and Gen Y, all the different gens that are listening this one day your parents are going to be gone and it's up to you your support system goes and you've lost siblings i think you last count there was at least four family members that have moved on and you have to deal with that and that's just that issue forget the other issues of moving forget the issues of getting older you, you just start that cumulative effect to it so i can see where it really does affect our identity have you learned to use grief as a positive tool for change and growth, or is there a positive purpose to grief? Well, I would definitely say that. And while I was experiencing this, even as my little brother was dying, I was 31 and he was 28, I was already recognizing there was a spiritual awakening that was happening. And when I tracked back, that really was a place where that opened me up to this because I always talk about with body, soul, spirit. I work with that kind of foundation and know, always knew that my soul is having this evolutionary journey. And 
not all of it was going to be easy. And sometimes these things that we were up against and that are very challenging, they do bring us into growth. And it's just remembering that as humans, we all have free will and we always get to choose how we're going to be about what's happening on that journey. So I would start there just as a place for everyone, even in those deepest, darkest moments to recognize there is a choosing available, just recognizing that. So when that feeling comes upon us or we're feeling that overwhelm or that anxiety or triggered, you know, based on that grief that we can choose, we can embrace it, welcome it. Like you say, bring in a positive thought around that and then change that so it doesn't have a negative impact on us. Is that what you're saying? And I wouldn't even say bring in a positive thought. Choosing for me in many of my darkest moments was just to be there. That is a choosing going and opening a bottle of wine, which I did plenty of that, but... Yeah, what are you saying here? What's wrong with that? So you're talking (laughs) self-medicate. I'm with you on that one. I can drink wine whether I'm grieving or not. Yeah. Absolutely. You're talking about self-medication of any kind. Yeah, and we get to pay attention to... You know, that's that part of mindfulness and awareness is that it's for sure a toggle, but recognizing that we can... And when we do surrender, that's another word we might use in this instance, surrender into it, let it expand us, let it break open. There's a saying that says our hearts don't break apart, they break open. Because if we're really watching a lot of the journey for me too, was new people would come into my life that I wouldn't expect or There were just these places to have this experience of love and what we know love to be. Clearly, when someone's dying, we're in that. And if it was someone who was less than a loved one that died and we're still sort of trapped in our head about things the way we wanted them to be different, better, or more, that's still kind of a question of love. If it didn't come from outside from that relationship. What is it in me that needs to expand, needs to grow, can grow? Sure. So embrace it. Don't be scared of it. Yeah. And and sometimes, like I remember going through periods of grief where anxiety kicked in. I never experienced anxiety. I've only experienced it a couple of times where let's call it an anxiety feeling or an attack where I really felt anxious. And it was for short windows, but it was still there. And it's scary. It's a very scary place. I know there's people who are living that place more often than not. Speaking of the heart, you talk about techniques around the heart and you teach a technique of like breathing through your heart and using your heart. There's an exercise that you can quickly do if you're feeling anxious, if you're feeling a little overwhelmed, you can take a few moments and do this on whatever schedule you want to actually Breathe through your heart and it changes your physiology, it changes the mental state. Talk to us a little bit about what that heart technique is. Okay. And this is work from the Institute of Heart Math. And the simple technique is called heart focused breathing. And you just bring all of your awareness and attention to the area of the heart. So, right there, it gets us out of our troubling thoughts, just even for a split second. Bring all the attention and awareness to the area of your heart. And then you're just creating an imagination that the air is flowing in and out from this heart or your chest area and just finding a comfortable rhythm for yourself. So you don't even have to breathe necessarily deeper. You're just paying attention to your heart 
finding a comfortable rhythm, staying there for five or six breaths. And what that does is it helps to regulate the nervous system. So what we know in anxiety is that the nervous system signals are dysregulated. So simply allowing the signals from your heart that are going to your head to shift, that helps you just calm. And it can be pretty simple and pretty quick. And one of the things, the other picture I like to give to people is that from the science of heart math is that the heart's field, the heart's energy is 5,000 times greater than the brain. So as soon as we drop down, like I like to use that as a picture, as soon as I drop my attention to the area of my heart and I'm not in my head anymore, I can just breathe a sigh of relief and think, oh, all my troubling thoughts can just go there. It's a much bigger field. I follow the exercise online. You've got some presentations. So I tried that and I thought, wow, yeah, and it is a change of focus, and you're referencing the autonomic nervous system, and then we have all this stuff that's just going on a regular basis, pre-programmed. And what we're doing is we're hacking, we're rebooting there a little bit, and we're overriding it. So we're overriding what's going on and saying, hey, wait a minute. And this, by breathing and focusing and being mindful of what's going on and breathing through your heart, it can actually change the physiology and remove the anxiety. Yes, and deeper, deeper levels of the different techniques is to actually draw in a feeling of care and or compassion. And that can also be helpful if you have more time to sit with it. Just see what that feels like to re-experience compassion and then let that radiate through your body. That's another layer. There's layers. Yeah. No, that makes sense. How does grief affect the working person and the workplace atmosphere? Does it have an impact? Yes. I'll give the first personal example why I knew I needed to find more tools because I found myself after sustaining my dad's loss and then my brother pretty quickly after that. I was so mentally unclear that I had double booked a trip on top of another one that was already on the books. And that scared me that I could have so much lack of focus and lack of clarity. Mental lapse. Yeah. yeah. For managers, thankfully, and this is where I would put it now in the context of the workplace, we can all just really recognize all of these different ways in which grief might be affecting. And a big one in the workplace is lack of clarity and focus because we come back Typically, we come back and we think we're okay, and we may be, we can still function, but there's this level, I always talk about it like this, your mental body is operating on one level, and that emotional body is operating on that other level, and if it's not getting the attention and the processing that it needs, it's going to override and take your attention so that that lack of focus is there. So I was able to go to my manager and literally say to her, can I have some extra support? I'm not even sure how to set this up, but I want you to know what I just did. And I don't want to double book clients. I don't want to, I don't want to mess up. So the managers and leaders having an open conversation with employees to let them know I'm here and also know what's available to employees through EAP, Employee Assistance Program, making that immediately available and making it known. Hey, I just want you to know that if you need some assistance in this, if you need a minute to talk, I'm here. So that's another growth area for leaders. 
Yeah, it's one of those touchy things where people don't know how to deal with it. So let's say someone has taken time off of work to grieve a loss. How can the employer and coworkers help them transition when they do return to work? How can we support them? We never know what to say, right? We never know, oh, I'm sorry for your loss. The standard lines, oh, I'm sorry for your loss. Was that useful? Are there other things that we can do? I know by being present, you talk about being present with your brothers. You you didn't have to fix anything just by being there and supporting your Mm -hmm. older brother, particularly while he was going through his final days. But what can we do as individuals at work or in our personal professional Mm -hmm. lives to support someone or even as an employer, if we employ that has just gone through an experience of grief? I'll give you this example because I think if everybody took this mindset and heart set, I think it would go a long way. I came back and in my department, I worked in a building of 80 employees. My department was 10 people. And one of my coworkers, a gentleman that we'd worked together 20 years, we had known each other. And he just, he came over to my desk and he just said, Michelle, I want you to know I'm here if you feel like talking. And I'm here, even if you don't feel like talking. And that gave me incredible freedom. And the thing, you know, expressing condolences, it's a lot of times what grievers say is they come back and nobody wants to say anything. And that almost makes it worse. So some, some kind of acknowledgement of some acknowledgement. Yeah. Just acknowledging is good. What to stay away from is asking, how are you? I think we just need to take that statement out from no griever ever wants to hear that because good point. they're searching. What do you want to hear? Should I say, should there's this, should I say making should them work? I? You're making them work. So maybe ask something in particular. Hey, I know your son had a soccer game this weekend. How'd that go? Find something topical, particular, or some kind of invitation. Want to go grab normal, something normal, something we would ask in a normal way. Yeah. And just let them get, because it does go away in time. Like it's interesting with grief. At first there's the big owie and then it starts, it's always there. It's the hurt's always there. The triggers are there and you have those moments, but then it's like, it's just an evolution. It becomes less and less of a focus. So if we were to look at how much time is dedicated to the grief in a 24 hour period, it diminishes over time. If you're processing it, right. If it it gets less and less impactful. You're getting into a, one of the myths that we want to be very careful of. And that myth is it just takes time. So oh, that's good. Explain yes, that. The acute, that acute feeling may start yeah. dissipating. However, and the point you made was the most important thing is if you're processing it, if you're processing it, yes, you're moving in time with tools and moving with your emotions, moving the emotions. And if you're not, we have this idea that, well, it feels better now, but if you didn't do anything with it, you may be harboring some of these emotions and it may come out in angry bursts. It may be simmering in your body, starting that dis-ease process. We really want to stay away from saying that to ourselves that, oh, it just takes time. What you do want to do is be taking action in time. Got it. Great clarification. Last question for you. What would you change about the average work culture today? to make it more welcoming and embracing the grief and just that whole, how it affects us on an individual and organizational level. What would you change about the culture? One of the points I made, because some of what I did do in my work was leadership training. I would just really bring in and support from top down 
more compassion, trainings, training around soft skills have really come a long way. And I would be very specific about bringing, uh, you know, lunch and learn where people could ask questions back, but definitely training at that top level of how do you be a manager, a leader, and assist your employees. But then you also want to have this group opportunity to be able to be together, whether it's bringing in work on compassion, how do we be a more compassionate workplace or grief in particular. Personally, I think it should be grief in particular because we are all 100% of us grievers. That's good. Hey, Michelle, this was great insights. Thanks for sharing with us. The book is called Growing Through Grief, The Alchemy of Healing from Loss. And grief means lots of things. You've got 10 wonderful chapters, which can help people and give them a journey. How do they find the book? What's the best way for them to find a book and find you? You can find it on Amazon. You can also get to my website and you'll see all the services and the books there. And we'll put all of that in the show notes as well so people can find you. Thanks for sharing this subject with us. It's important. It's important for us on our personal journeys. We're all going to be dealing with these issues and you've got some great tools and strategies in there. So thanks for sharing and thanks for writing the book and thanks for being a guest on Becoming Preferred. We're delighted to have you. Thank you, Michael, so much. This podcast is created and associated with Summit Media. My executive producer is Beth Smith and director of research, Tori Smith. The fee for the show is that you share it with friends when you find something useful or interesting. This podcast is subject to copyright by Summit Media.